We are more connected to our relationships than ever before. But how often do you take a step back and examine how you're showing up to the people that matter most? If we're going to have connections that last for decades, then making one small emotional change could have an impact that literally lasts for your lifetime. Let's break down the relationship we have with our relationships. Welcome to Subject Matter. Hello and welcome to another episode of Subject Matter. This is episode 13 of season two. I'm your host as always, Ben Bradbury. And for the next half an hour or so, whether you're just sitting down after a long day of work, fancy learning something or entertaining yourself with a bit of education, then we're going to dive into a new mental model to help you understand the world just a little bit better. You can think of the outcome of this episode as sharpening your mental toolbox to help you make better decisions in one area of your life. And the area that we're exploring today, that mental model, is a tool that's going to help you understand yourself better and specifically how you show up to the relationships that matter most in your life. Now, in isolation, one area that has affected all of us is, of course, our relationships. Short of the people that we see every day in the house we're living in, we don't get to see our friends, and it's a very strange feeling. But this creates an excellent opportunity to actually take a step back and evaluate how we're showing up to those people that we care about. Now, we are all social animals. Relationships, well, they let us thrive. And that's why I believe it's crucial to examine what I call our relationship squared. And that is quite simply your relationship with your relationships. Now, if this sounds a little bit abstract, don't worry. We're going to get into it in just a second. This is an idea that we'll come back to, but think of it quite simply as if you can have a 1% better relationship with the people that you care about by examining how you show up. How could that impact your relationships over the span of several decades? 1% might not seem like a lot today, but applied over a lifetime, it can be a dramatic difference. And that is what I'm hoping to give you here today. We're going to be exploring some practical advice to help you think through how you're approaching your relationships in isolation and build stronger connections with the people that matter most. Now, this idea of breaking down our relationships might seem a little bit intimidating at first. So let's start by breaking down some of the different relationships that we all have in our lives. These could be family, friends, mentors, romantic partners, there's this big jumble, so let's start making some sense of it. In his book, The Power of Who, Bob Bodine writes about a simple but powerful message, which is that there can be a systematic approach to getting what you want by meeting who you need to know. And in his book, Bodine outlines what he calls the Who framework. And what I want you to imagine and visualize in your head is the first stage of this framework, your closest friends are your inner circle. And for each subsequent layer of people, relationships that you have, there's just a circle that gets a little bit bigger outside of that core circle. That's the essence of the WHO framework. Now, what does this practically mean? So we start out with our inner circle. These are what Bodine calls our 12 closest friends. These are the most important relationships that you have in your life. And these are the people that should get your most time and attention, as we'll see in a second. Then you have your who friends. These are the people more widely outside your inner circle who share the same core values as you, 
And the only thing stopping them being in that inner circle is proximity, opportunity, and time. Then you have your allies. These are people who associate with you through your inner circle or your who friends, and occasionally they'll introduce you to their friends as well. Then you have advocates, and these are crucially people you don't know, but who vouch for you in your relationships. Outside of advocates, you have acquaintances, and these are people that you might have just met in passing and be vaguely familiar with. And then finally, on the very proximity, you have your fans. And these are people who like you, but you don't know exist. So why does this framework matter? The key thing here is that a healthy relationship squared acknowledges that not all relationships are created equal. For example, someone in your inner circle and someone who is an ally, you would expect to get a different level of intimacy. You wouldn't open up to someone you'd only met a few times in the same way you'd open up to a childhood friend, perhaps. And what this knowledge makes possible is our ability to create our own mental boundaries. So all friends, well, they start as acquaintances, but don't ever mistake a friendly acquaintance for a friend. You have to draw that boundary. Friend and friendly might only be two letters different, but they are worlds apart in reality. If someone is a friend, both of you will acknowledge it. Friendship is mutual. And by segmenting our relationship squared into these different buckets, we can start making it a lot easier to take advantage of opportunities as they come up. Bodine makes the argument in The Power of Who that most people never get what they want because number one, they don't ask, and number two, when they do ask, they ask the wrong person. So ask yourself now, who's more likely to help me for something that I might be needing a favor for or an opportunity? Is it going to be an acquaintance who's well-placed that you've met a couple of times, or is it going to be one of your who friends or inner circle that knows you and believes in you? Which one is going to open their network up to you to help you? There's no contest. And that's why segmenting our relationship squared is so important, whether it's pushing our comfort zone to ask for something or knowing who to catch up with, who gets our time, energy, and attention. Segmenting our relationships makes it easier to see where we should be investing and build connection where it counts. The WHO framework offers one type of mental model to think about the relationships we have and how to segment them. But I'm going to give you an even simpler principle that you can use to evaluate your relationships. And this is something that I've personally used to great effect over the last year or so. And that is quite simply the idea of A versus V. As we're learning, a key part of your relationship squared is separating between the different kinds of relationships that you have. And a mistake that I've made in the past is, well, failing to draw that line. A few years ago, I would give my energy naturally to anyone I thought I could help. I'm pretty naturally optimistic, and so I thought there was plenty of people that could be helped, plenty of people I saw good in. But after several years of giving to anyone and everyone, I started feeling exhausted. And one mental model that has helped me overcome this and realize, well, who deserves to get my energy and attention? Because as we'll see, you have to put on your own emotional oxygen mask first before you can help others, is a principle that earlier listeners from Subject Matter will recognize, and that is A versus V. A relationships are incredibly easy to meet. 
They're everywhere. There are a dime a dozen. And perhaps they give you interesting conversation. Maybe they make you laugh and they might even feel good to spend time with. But at the end of the day, A, relationships don't push your thinking. They don't push you to become that next version of yourself. V relationships, on the other hand, they are much harder to find. But when you find one, something subconscious clicks. You share the same values. You might think differently, but you're aligned enough that the time you spend together is incredibly productive. Searching for the relationship takes time, but finding one is a signal that you're playing the long game. Because these are people, the relationships are the people that you can surround yourself with for a very long time. And so when you're examining the relationship you have with your relationships, my advice is to focus on these and not A's. If this idea of filtering relationships seems alien to you, allow me to share a story to illustrate. It's the year 480 BC, and the Persian king of kings, Xerxes, wants to conquer his ancient rival, ancient Greece. In order to access Greece, the Persian army would have to march through the narrow inland pass at Thermopylae. Greece sent a relatively small army to meet them of around 6,000 men. They were facing as many as 300,000 Persians. Now on paper, this is no contest. But the Greeks had an advantage. They were holding the Persians at one very narrow pass. And for two days straight, the Greeks, outnumbered as many as 50 to 1, repelled this endless horde of human bodies. Now, one of the Greek states was called Sparta. It's a warring militaristic state, and they had sent 300 of their elite warriors. And on the third day of fighting at Thermopylae, Greece was betrayed. The Persians started to outflank them. And when the Spartan king, Leonidas, realized that he was being outflanked, he ordered the bulk of the Greek army to retreat. And he left his core troops of veterans to fight to the death alongside a small group of thespians. What allows a king to stand with a small force of 300 men, staring at thousands of soldiers in the face of certain death? By trusting his relationships, by selecting the people. Every Spartan veteran represented a relationship Leonidas could count on. They were Sparta's best. The historian Plutarch gives us a little anecdote saying, when Pedaritus was not selected as one of the 300, he withdrew looking very cheerful, thus expressing his happiness that the city possessed 300 better men than he was. Every one of these men were the relationship, and together, this consistent excellence let them strive for something bigger than themselves, the defense of their country. The 300 Spartans fighting to the death was frankly a superhuman feat. It's amazing what 300 people can do. But here's the catch for you listening at home. In reality, none of us get 300 relationships. We get half that number. Research from anthropologist Robin Dunbar proposes that humans can comfortably maintain only 150 stable relationships. 150 is Dunbar's number. This is the number of relationships you can feasibly have. That's all you get. So take away your extended family, your friends, your co-workers, your mentors, and I bet you don't have many left over. And that's why it is so important to concentrate 
on our relationship squared, the people that we choose to invest in. We need to be intentional about who those 150 relationships actually are. And that's where the idea of V versus A comes back in. Because ideally, every one of our 150 relationships is V relationship. These are people that where their values align, they push our thinking, they help us become the next version of ourselves. They quite frankly, in my opinion, make life worth living. Now, let me clarify one important detail. A relationships can become these over time. If someone shows up consistently and their actions speak louder than their words, that is every reason to consider them the relationship. This is not by any means a black and white filter. And I don't want you coming away from this thinking you need to be so much colder with your relationships. But the truth of the matter is, if we accept that we only have 150 stable relationships, it gives us great reason to be careful of our social limits. Every A relationship is taking up valuable space for a V relationship. And so in reality, having filters like this, it's the only way that we can have the energy to show up for the people that matter most and not feel stretched trying to please the masses. So now let's take a step back and break down the psychology of relationship squared. What makes some people qualify as an A when some people qualify as a V? Now, obviously this is incredibly subjective, but there is an important game being played right in front of our eyes that is completely invisible, and it is shrouded in the dark magic of power dynamics. Here's a paradox for you. Power both exists and does not exist at exactly the same time. Why? Power is in our heads. Power is perceived. In their paper on power dynamics and the basis of social power, John French and Bertram Raven identify six types of power that govern how we choose to identify with people and build relationships with them. So firstly, you have reward power. This is based on your perception that someone can give you a reward. So for example, if your boss controls your end of year bonus or a decision to give you a pay rise, that can create power. Second kind of power, coercive power. This is not the carrot, this is the stick. This is based on your perception that people can give you punishments. And so likewise, if your boss can reduce your influence at work or can even fire you, that's a different kind of power too. Third, you have legitimate power. This is based on the perception that someone has a legitimate right to prescribe you behavior. So if you believe in your company's values, that makes it more legitimate for a coworker to give you an order. And remember, just as a reminder at the halfway point here, every one of these power dynamics are perceived. They are not objective. They are all happening in your head. The fourth kind of power is referent power. This is based on how you identify with somebody. The more that you see yourself in a fellow coworker, the more you're attracted to them and the more power that you perceive them to have. The fifth kind of power is expert power. This is based on your perception that someone has a special knowledge or expertise. So if you think that someone at your company has one specific area that they know really well, well, that creates power too. And sixth and finally, you have informational power. And this is like expert power, but it's tied to independent information that someone knows as opposed to the dependency of expertise. So if you think senior leaders at your job know a new company strategy that isn't public knowledge yet, 
Well, that creates power too. So why does this subject matter? Power dynamics are subtle and subconscious, but we are pulled to create connection with powerful individuals. This desire could end up influencing who we choose to build relationships with. And now you know you only have 150 relationships to choose from because of Dunbar's number, power's influence has serious implications on who we choose to build relationships with. So a quick exercise for you. I want you to take a step back and think of a relationship that you respect or admire. Ask yourself, why do I admire this person? Is it because they have a deep expertise in something? Because that's expert power. Is it that they seem to have similarly good ideas to you? That's referent power. Perhaps you feel that they see the world in the same way you do. That's sharing values. That's legitimate power. This is all perceived. But what I want you to do for this person is run them through the six power dynamics that we've just shared of reward, coercive, referent, legitimate, expert, and informational power and see where your relationship with them might be being influenced by the dark magic of power dynamics. For example, think about wealth as a concept. Wealth is a symbol to shortcut our judgment because price is correlated with value. Like Pavlov's dogs, if a price goes up, it rings the bell in our brain, boom, we think this is more valuable. We incorrectly therefore assume that people with money are worth listening to. They have a high price, and so therefore they must be valuable. Now we know this isn't the case. There are plenty of tricksters that take advantage of this psychological bias. And so now that we're realizing how much power dynamics influences our relationship squared, our relationship with our relationships, we can start taking control of how it affects us. Remember, one more time, the power that people hold over you is completely perceived. So when you catch yourself taking particular preference for someone and you just can't explain why, ask why. Why do I like this person so much? Run them through the six filters of power dynamics and challenge yourself. Where have you let them create power in your head? The ultimate goal here is to create human connection on our own terms because we're attracted to power like moths to a light bulb. And it takes a conscious decision to move away from those tendencies to perceive power and instead build relationships from our own judge of character instead. But let's be realistic here. Power dynamics aren't going anywhere. I'm human, you're human, and we're both complete with our beautiful biases. And that's why even as we hone our relationship squared, we'll always be prone to those that we perceive to have power and there will always be obstacles that get in the way of genuine human connection. It's worth saying at this point that power dynamics aren't all bad. The reason that we develop these psychological shortcuts is because they save us precious decision-making inputs. So I will leave it up to your judgment to decide when someone is manipulating the game of power dynamics versus being a virtuous player. But let's leave that to one side now and focus on another area where we might be getting in our own way and that is creating conflict with our relationships. I'm going to give you a mental model to better address the causes of conflict in your relationships. And this is what I call the identity iceberg. I want you to think about the last time you spoke to someone completely new. You probably got a sense for whether you liked them or maybe you didn't. 
But the truth is, you will have only scratched the surface with them. Beneath that person is a lifetime's worth of experiences that have given them the key stories they tell themselves alongside the behavior patterns that manifest every day in their experiences. In short, they're human, just like you. And with every potential relationship but ourselves, we start by seeing just the tip of someone's identity. This tip is a highlight reel of their experiences, but beneath the surface, that is where we can see the identity iceberg. That is where the vast mass of their personality lies. When you conflict with a relationship, it's usually not because the parties involved are a bad person. It's because you're just seeing the tip of their identity iceberg, and you're assuming that that makes up the whole without appreciating the lifetime of values, stories, and experiences that have brought them to this conclusion. So how can we practically use this idea of the identity iceberg to help solve conflict? Well, when we're speaking to our relationships, what I urge you to do is don't try and grasp the point that they're making with conflict. That's just scratching the surface. What I want you to do is dive a step deeper and understand how they think and what caused them to make the point in the first place. Ask your relationship to tell you more about what interests them and why you can be interested. A question that I love to ask to dig deeper, tell me more about that. Peel back the layers, because when somebody gets excited about something, they're sharing something that mattered to them before you entered into the conversation. And it's your job as an emotional excavator to dig out these common threads and create genuine connection. That's where the gold lies. And it's these kind of conversations that let you dive beneath the iceberg's tiny surface and see the identity iceberg for the beautiful sculpture that it really is. One of my all-time favorite words is sonder. And sonder is defined as the profound feeling of realizing that everyone, including strangers passed in the street, has a life as complex as one's own, which they are constantly living despite one's personal lack of awareness for it. When you start seeing the world the way that your relationships do when you dive beneath the identity iceberg, that is sonder, and it sparks a wonderful feeling called empathy. And this lets us break down barriers and form connection, not only based on what people do, but who they actually are. The key here is putting ourselves in other people's shoes and understanding what makes up their identity icebergs. It's with this that we can not only resolve conflict, but seek to build bigger, better, more beautiful human connection. For our final foray into the idea of relationship squared, and I hope that you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have, because I would love to come back to this idea later. There's a key concept when it comes to examining our relationships that we haven't explored yet, and that's the relationship we have with ourselves. The executive coach, Jerry Colonna, talks about his writing teacher, who is a poet by the name of Marie Ponsot. And Marie had this idea of a character called the crow. And the crow sits on your shoulder, sits on my shoulder, your shoulder, everybody's shoulder, telling you all the things that are wrong with you, all the ways that you aren't good enough. And this is the mistake that people make, which is to try and throw rocks at the crow, get it to shut up. But in fact, what we want to do to resolve this conflict with ourselves is to actually let the crow speak. Now, when Kelowna shared this idea, I have to admit I was skeptical. 
But then he shared a practical exercise, which is what I'm going to encourage you guys to try today as well. When you're journaling, which is something to do to reflect or to let you get thoughts out onto the page, if you normally use a black or maybe a blue pen, use a different colored pen. I went ahead and used a red pen for the first time, and I allowed the crow to speak freely. And so when I did this at first, I must admit it felt very weird. Journaling for me is all about productivity. It's all about getting myself into the best prime state. But as I wrote with the red pen for the first time, I read some of the words that my crow was speaking. Shut down, pretend, a reaction to panic, sympathy, relief, we hide together. And Kalona's insight here is that the crow is there to make us feel safe. And those were the words that came out for me. They were exactly that, shut down, hide together, reaction to panic. It's me closing off from the world. The crow is trying to be vigilant over anything outside of our comfort zone. And the problem is it's just a little bit too attentive. It holds us back and it says, don't do that. You're not good enough. Stay safe. And having a healthy relationship squared, a healthy relationship with our relationships starts with acceptance. Acceptance that we need to give the crow room to breathe. When the crow has said his part for Kelowna, he accepts these thoughts, saying, thank you, buddy, I appreciate it, but I'm doing the best that I can right now. And we are all going to have our doubts. That's a beautiful part of being human. But it's how we meet these doubts that matters. We can try and shut off these thoughts, never embracing them, or we can get them to open up and have a more empathetic conversation with ourselves. We need to put our empathetic oxygen masks on first before we can deliver that self-love to others. When we start embracing and accepting, that's when we can start building fruitful relationships. So let's review what we've learned about Relationship Squared and our relationship with relationships. First, not all relationships are created equal. Whether using A versus the or the who framework, relationships can and should be prioritized so we know how to best invest our social time and energy. Second, realize that the perception we build of our relationships is entirely in our heads. It's important to stay aware of the subconscious effects of power dynamics so we can have a better handle on the relationships that we're building and also realize that when we come into conflict with somebody, we might not appreciate their full identity iceberg that's hiding just beneath the surface. That's complete with a lifetime of values, stories, and experiences that's shaping their perspective. And third and finally, a healthy relationship squared examines our relationship with ourselves. Accepting our doubts and giving them room to breathe lets our emotions mature instead of staying bottled up. And that could be the key that unlocks that next version of yourself. You have to be intentional. You have to be strategic. And you have to be quantifiable in the relationships you choose to invest in. And we'll go even deeper into how to invest wisely into your relationships with next week's guest. Thank you for listening to this episode of Subject Matter. If you enjoyed what you watched or listened to, you can subscribe on our YouTube channel, And I would love to hear any and all feedback that you might have. So leave a comment down below, or you can reach me on Twitter at Ben Bradbury underscore. Thanks again for listening or watching, and we'll see you next week for the next episode of Subject Matter.